All right, this morning, um, turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. We have been working on Hebrews for a, a good long time now. Just about to finish up chapter 12 and go into the last chapter of Hebrews. But this morning in our study, we're going to be looking at verses 18 through 29 and talking about the subject, When God Speaks. When God Speaks. I was thinking this morning, you know, sometimes I, I look at uh, sign church signs to get ideas about what to do for our church sign. And, and I was thinking this morning as I was uh, finishing up the message and going through it in my mind, and the sign popped into my head that I had seen somewhere before. It says, when was the last time that God spoke to you? And then it said, uh, or has God spoken to you lately? I, get, I think that's what it was. And then the question under that was, if not, why not? If God hasn't spoke to you lately, why is that? In our passage of Scripture this morning, it's, it's just a given that God has spoken. He gives instances and, and references, and then he, he talks about what God has asked us, what He has done for us. So let me just start out with the question this morning. Has God spoken to you lately? And if He hasn't, why not? Did God move? Did God change? Does His message mean something different now than it did before? Or is the problem not with God, but us? Have we changed? Has our mission changed? This morning, God speaks to us. And when He speaks, what is our proper response? We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 19, uh, 18, and then going through the rest of the chapter. So let's read our verses this morning. For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched and that burned with fire, and to blackness and darkness and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet, and the voice of words, so that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. For they could not endure what was commanded. And if so much as a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth. But now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I shake 
not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this, yes, yet once more, indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken, as of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. What is our proper response when God speaks? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, again we bow before You. Again we come to Your throne and we seek You. We ask for the pouring out of Your Spirit. We pray for Your Spirit to be improving our minds and teaching us what Your Word says and how we are to implement that in our life. Because, God, we want to be pleasing to You. And if not, Father, I pray that You will change our hearts today. Father, for those of us who, Lord, need to hear a word from You because it's been a while, will You open our ears, open our minds, and speak to us to direct us in the way we should go. Lead us into further obedience to You. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. When God speaks, when God speaks, there is a change to be made. The things that I saw in this passage of Scripture this morning, there's three times that God speaks in this passage of Scripture. And the first one is talking about an Old Testament reference. Whenever Moses and the, uh, the children of Israel were gathered around Mount Sinai, and that's what it talks, all that language there in verse 18 and 19 uh, and 20 is talking about what happened on the mountain at Sinai. But going back a little bit further than that, think about what's the first time that God spoke. In Genesis chapter 1, God said, let there be light. God spoke everything into being through creation God gave His Word, He spoke His Word, and everything happened as, as His desire was. He created all things by the Word, through the spoken Word. Then, think about this, Moses was on the backside of the desert. He was at Mount Sinai, but he was herding some sh sheep. He was a shepherd at that time. His father-in-law's sheep, he was guarding them, guiding them, and then he saw a bush on fire. I was reading some things this, this week that talked about that bush. And you know, the, the Jewish uh, tradition is that that bush was a thorn bush. Think about the implications of that for just a moment. The thorn bush was on fire, but it wasn't being burned up. It was just uh, on fire. At the curse, at the fall of mankind, the curse on the world was that it was going to bring forth uh, Briars and bushes, thorns, weeds, all those things. Thorns were come, came forth because of sin coming into the world. And God revealed Himself to Moses through a burning thorn bush. But then, as Jesus was redeeming the world, as He was paying the redemption price for all creation, He was removing the curse, what was on His head? A thorn, a, a crown of thorns. Imagine that for just a minute, how God ties everything together at the fall of mankind. What well, part of the curse was thorns were going to come from the earth. 
God revealed Himself to Moses to, to lead him to go back and get the people out of Egypt. He appeared to him in a thorn bush. And then as Jesus hung on the cross, what hung on His head? A crown of thorns. God is Almighty. God spoke to Moses in Exodus chapter 3 and He, he says, Moses, Moses, and Moses says, here I am. And you know the encounter. God says, I want you to go back to Egypt. I want you to deliver my people. God spoke again after He delivered the people. God spoke directly to the people. If you go back to Exodus chapter 20, this is what happened. God came. He manifested Himself on the mountain in thick clouds and smoke and lightnings and, and thunderings and all those things. And His voice came from the mountain and He gave them the Ten Commandments audibly. He spoke the Ten Commandments to them. This was not written down on the tablets at that time. You go all the way to, to chapter 32 before you do that. Now, this is chapter 20 of Exodus. And God spoke to them the Ten Commandments. Put God first. No idols. Worship only God. Then keep the, the name of the Lord holy. Keep the Sabbath day holy. Honor your parents. Obey your mom and dad. And then the, you shall not kill. You shall not steal. You shall not uh, commit adultery. You shall not uh, covet. You shall not lie. All of those ten. I, don't, I know I didn't get them in order, but that's them anyway. God spoke them to the people of Israel there on Mount Sinai. He gave them the law. And He said, this is how I want you to behave. But the sight was so awesome, so terrifying, that the people went to Moses and says, look, we can't take this. Not only was the sight, not only was the sound, but the, the idea, the... the uh, preaching, the, the teaching of God, His commandments that came down, they couldn't stand them because they knew they were guilty of these things. They knew that it could not be righteous in God's sight because of what He had just said, because they had committed all of these things. God spoke the Ten Commandments and they were afraid. You know what happens to us today? We hear the Ten Commandments and we say, oh, that was for somebody else. You know, I don't have to abide by that. I, you know, where it says, thou shalt not commit adultery, the way we learned that on Wednesday night was love the one you marry and only the one you marry. Whenever, whenever we're uh, talking about that out in the world, people say, oh, well, that's old-fashioned. You know, it's okay now for us to spend time together, to live together and all that sort of stuff before we get married. Look, the, the Scripture is never outdated. And God never changes His mind. He, said, he calls that adultery. He calls that fornication. All those things. And you know what it is. So if God hasn't changed His mind, then why are we accepting of it? Why are we saying that it's okay? Why are we... not following God's Word. Now, God spoke the Ten Commandments. Later on, He called Moses up on the mountain and he, Moses brought two tablets with Him and God wrote on those tablets, two tablets 
the Ten Commandments. Now, two tablets, I was thinking about that, and, and also the, the first part of the Ten Commandments have to, of how we deal with God, the first four commandments. is our relationship with God. Uh, put God first, have no idols, worship only God, and then you know, keep the, the Sabbath day holy, keep His name holy. Those four things deal with our relationship with God. The last six, they are how we deal with everybody else. Two tablets, one for God and one for mankind. And Jesus says, ask about the, uh, the most important commandments. He says, love God and love your neighbor. Two. If you, if you love your neighbor, you're going to do all those commandments. You're going to keep all those commandments because if you don't love your neighbor, if you do commit those things, then you are not loving your neighbor. God spoke the Ten Commandments. When God speaks, He demands obedience. Has God spoken and changed His commandments? Of course not. But man speaks and says, you know, it's okay. Do whatever you want to do. God will forgive you. God is forgiving. But are you willing to pay the price for the sin that you commit? Because there's always a price. There's always a consequence. You steal somebody's stuff, you might go to jail. Most likely go to jail. I hope you go to jail. You take somebody's life. The Scripture says, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. If you take somebody's life, your life is supposed to be taken. I don't care what our government says. I don't like capital punishment, but I don't like somebody killing somebody else either. I believe our nation would see a turnaround if we revised our justice system and used capital punishment when it was needed. We wouldn't see all these punks running around shooting people because they'd be worried about dying themselves. Instead, well, okay, all right. You know what the law says. I'm getting too far off track. I've got to reel it in a little bit. You know what God says, and God has not changed His mind. You know what He said, and He is going to demand justice from us, from the world, from His followers. The writer of Hebrews is, is making a contrast here, though. He's, he's saying, remember what happened at Mount Sinai. And he's talking to the church, he's talking to Hebrews who have believed in Jesus, but he's also talking to those outside that need to come inside under the umbrella, under Jesus' blood. And he's saying, that's what happened in the old days, but guess what's happening, happened now? First of all, the law was spoken on Mount Sinai, but then in verse 22, he starts saying, what happened at Mount Zion? Mount Zion, by the way, was Jerusalem, inside the city or around the city. He says, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels. He's talking about your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You are not under the law anymore. You are under grace. That's what he's saying. A little bit further, uh, in, over there in uh, verse 27, I'm sorry, 28. He says, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace. He's talking about right there. He's saying, first of all, you've got the law. The law came, God spoke the law, and we couldn't bear the law because we all broke the law. But praise God, He gave grace so that we could be acceptable in His sight. But we've got to accept it. We've got to... 
We've got to receive it. You know what Jesus said to Nicodemus, the Pharisee? He told him, For God so loved the world, that whosoever believeth... That whosoever, yeah. God so loved... Sometimes my mind gets ahead of my, my mouth. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. You see, the whole point of that, God gave because He is gracious. He is justice and He is righteous and He is holy and He demands payment, but He made the payment for us by giving His Son. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Hey, look, the world does nothing but wear you down, burden you up, and trash you every chance it gets. Jesus says, you come to me, and I'll take care of you. I'll give you rest. I'll make sure that you have what you need. You see, it's not about getting everything you want in this world, but I'll tell you what, we will have everything we need, want, uh, everything we could ever dream of in the next. And that's more important than this. That's more important than our favorite football team winning. That's more important than catching the biggest bass that's caught in, in the United States. That's more important than our motorcycle races, right, Connor? It's more important than that. You see, what we are living for is not here and now. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, lest any man should boast. Grace is the gift of God. Because we could not do it on our own. You see, it's just like we're standing there looking at Mount Sinai and the law is given and we know that we don't measure up to that law so we are afraid of God. We shiver and we go to Moses or we go to the law and say, oh, please don't uh, bring this down on us. But then Jesus walks forth and He says, I'm paying your fine so you walk with Me. You won't have to bear the burden of the law. You won't have to bear your guilt. You won't have to face the judgment. I've done it for you. So as Jesus comes forth giving His grace, we must accept that. But listen to the things that the Scripture says that we have come to. In, in verse 18, 19, 20, 21, He says, we, 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 had, we have not gone to this, but this is what happened in the, in the past. He says, but you talking about those who are having faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have come to Mount Zion. Mount Zion, by the way, means foundation of peace, or, or Mount Zion, Jerusalem. The, the name Jerusalem means foundation of peace. And Mount Zion is just another name for Jerusalem. To the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels. We have been called into an innumerable company of angels. Then to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven. Think about that phrase for just a minute. We have been called to, by the Lord Jesus Christ, we have been called to the church of the firstborn. Not, now, it, this word is not capitalized, referencing deity, so it's talking about the church. We are the church of the firstborn. You know, in the, in the Old Testament, the firstborn child 
received the majority of the inheritance. He received the family business. He, he received titles and importance. He was the most important child. And then the, the church of the firstborn means this. There are no secondborns. There are no grandchildren like Brother Gene was saying during revival. Every one of us who have accepted Christ as Lord and Savior is the firstborn son of God. The firstborn daughter of God. So that we receive the inheritance that He has set aside for the firstborn. Every one of us is just as important as another. We are all the same. We are all going to be rewarded the same in the Lord Jesus Christ because we are the firstborn in the kingdom of God. The family of God. How awesome is that? Because you know what? Uh, you, you look around, I look around, and we see people that we think are more important than us. We, we'll look at uh, televangelists or preachers or, or people in this association or other churches or all these things, and you know, we think maybe they're probably more spiritual than we are. And they're going to get rewarded more in heaven. You know, that's not important. The most important thing is that God looks at me and says, you're my firstborn. You receive my ring. You receive the coat. You put sandals on my feet. Let's kill the fatted calf because the firstborn is here. God rejoices over you because you're His firstborn. We are part of that church. It goes on. This, this whole, uh, these two verses are just so wonderful in all that they contain. Think about the General Assembly and Church of the Firstborn who are registered in heaven. You know, we talked about names a while back, and we're talking about the most important place to have your name written is in heaven because it can be written everywhere. It can be written on buildings, all kinds of places here in this world, but it means nothing if your name is not written in the Lamb's Book of Life in heaven. Because all these things are passing away. All these things are, are going to crumble, rust, fade, corrode. But the things that are eternal are going to be steadfast in heaven. With your name written there. With your name written there. Think about what God will say. Well done, good and faithful servant. Wouldn't that be awesome to hear God speak? It's going to be a, a blessing to stand before God and have Him say those words. That's what we're all striving for. That's what we all want. Nobody wants to go before God and hear this, you lazy, slothful servant that didn't do what I asked you to do. You see, we're all wanting to hear good and faithful servant. But are we working toward that? Are we obeying the Word of God? When He speaks to us, are we following Him in obedience? He goes on and says, uh, to, We have been called to, we have come to, the God, to God the Judge of all, to the spirits of men, of just men made perfect. We have joined that crowd. Not that men are perfect, but they have been made perfect by the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says, we have come to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. Jesus who bought us with His blood by His sacrifice on the cross and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. We've been bought by the blood. See, that was God speaking grace to us. 
He spoke the law in the Old Testament, and the law still stands. But He speaks grace to us now, which supersedes the law, because grace covers sin when you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. So we move into the, the last part of God speaking. First, He spoke on Mount Sinai. He spoke the law. He spoke in Jerusalem. He spoke through the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace. And now, in verse 25, warnings are spoken from heaven. And are you listening? Verse 25, See that you do not refuse Him who speaks. For if they did not escape who refused Him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from Him who speaks from heaven. You see, what he's saying there, when God speaks, He will call into account the actions of those who hear. He causes us to come before Him for judgment. And if we have heard that Jesus saves, and we have not acted on that, if we have heard that we are sinners in need of redemption and have not acted upon that, if we have received Christ as Lord and Savior and, and heard Lord's direction in what we are supposed to do and have not done it, then are we really listening? We might hear, but listening means hearing and then acting on what you heard. You see, a lot of people hear. A lot of people hear. But are there that many who are actually behaving as if they heard? Obeying as if they heard? I pick on Bridget a lot. Y'all know I do that. I love her to death. Wouldn't take anything in the world for her. Uh, but sometimes I don't listen. I hear, but I ain't paying attention. She does me the same way, by the way, now. Just, just to even things out. All right, But when God speaks, we can't afford to be preoccupied with something else. When God speaks, we can't be worried about what else is going on right now. We need to listen to Him. When He speaks, He demands of us, He is commanding us to step forward and follow Him. Jesus says, whoever wants to follow Me, if you put your hand to the plow and you turn back, you're of no worth to the kingdom. You're no good to the kingdom. How are we going to escape judgment if we hear and don't act? The writer there says, remember what happened to the folks over there in Sinai when they heard the voice of God? They heard the commandments, and yet they decided to go their own way. They decided not to obey God. They refused to go into the promised land. They wandered in the wilderness for 40 years until that whole generation died in the wilderness. He says, if God held them accountable, how much more so will we be held accountable when God speaks from heaven to us? When was the last time you heard from God? When was the last time God spoke to you? Listen to verse 26 and 27. Speaking of God, whose voice then shook the earth, and now He has promised, saying, 
yet once more shall I shake, not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are being shaken as of things that are, are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Removal. Look at that word. It indicates removal. When God says, I'm going to shake the earth, I'm going to shake things, I'm going to move things around, He's talking about the removal of the things that are not eternal. What's not eternal? This church, these pews, this building, this body, all the things that we own and control, everything of this world will be removed. And only eternal things will remain. So what's most important when God speaks? Are we, are we caught up in this world and not listening to heavenly, heavenly things? When God speaks, are we paying attention? All the things that we're paying attention to now are going to be removed, and it's just going to be us and God. In verse 28, he says this, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken eternal, in, in glory, with God, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. You see, he says, we are receiving that which shall not be shaken. All these things are passing away. This is not what we're going to receive. We're going to receive glory. We're going to receive heaven. We're going to receive things eternal. Since we are receiving that, why aren't we serving God acceptably with reverence and godly fear? With godly fear. As if we were standing at Mount Sinai and seeing the smoke, the cloud, the lightning, the thunderings, and hearing the voice of God which brought us to our knees and we would be so afraid of the awesome majesty and power of God that we would bow before Him and seek to do His will every day. Instead of that, we hear from God and we say, well, I don't know if I've got time to do that today. I don't know if I want to Accomplish that. Verse 29 seems to sum this whole idea up. For our God is a consuming fire. You know, our world preaches and teaches that God is a loving God. And He is. He is love. But His love does not supersede His justice, His righteousness, His demand for holiness. You see, He loves you and wants you to be holy and righteous and just. And when you are not, He has provided a way for you to be holy, righteous, and just in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. But, outside of that, God's a consuming fire. Think about what that relates to for a moment. Because we've been talking about eternal things. Did you know hell is eternal? A consuming fire is eternal. The fires of hell burning with brimstone, sulfur and brimstone where the worm does not die and the fire is never quenched, 
where the weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth will never end, that fire is eternal. So when God speaks, are we more interested in eternal things or the things that are being shaken, taken away? Things that can be robbed or stolen or corrupted and rusted? Or are we, are we focusing on what God wants us to see? What He wants us to be? How He wants us to serve Him? What would we do today if God spoke right now? Thundered in this place? As He did whenever... Jesus was baptized. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Or like on the Mount of Transfiguration when He spoke from the cloud. This is my Son. What would we do if we heard God? Did you know that He is speaking to us now? Not in a thundering voice from heaven, though He could. But He speaks to us now in the soft whisper that we hear in our heart and in our mind. And it carries the same power, the same authority as it did on Mount Sinai when He thundered forth the law. And when He spoke in the New Testament over Jesus, this is my Son, the same voice speaks to our heart today. What are we going to do when God speaks? Verse 25 says, See that you do not refuse Him who speaks. And then verse 29, For our God is a consuming fire. Put those two together. Don't refuse Him if He's speaking because He is a consuming fire. Folks, what has He said? If He hadn't spoken to you, why? If it's been a long time, why? Maybe it's because we didn't listen. Maybe it's because we put something else first. Maybe He's tired of talking and us not paying attention. Does He have your attention today? Let's pray. Our Father and King, the Lord of glory, high on Your throne, lifted up and magnificent, we bow before You today. And Lord, we know You have spoken. Father, in this place today, You've touched hearts, You've touched minds. I pray, Father, that You will cause obedience action to whatever you have spoken. You are King, Master, Lord, and we are your slaves. Help us to follow you in obedience in Jesus' name. Amen.